0: Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here as we start and begin a new series. It's been a long time since we've done a topical uh, series. Again, about three, four weeks. I'm not exactly sure. I think about three at least. Uh, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 11 as we look at forgiveness, pursuing restoration. That's going to be a theme for the next few weeks. Forgiveness, pursuing restoration. Matthew chapter 11 We're going to be looking at verses 28 through 30... ...as as well as some other portions of Scripture. As you're turning there in the fall of 2006... ...the unthinkable happened when a one-room school... ...full of Amish children was taken hostage... ...by Charles Carl Roberts IV. After a few terrifying hours, Robert bound... ...then shot ten girls killing five of them before turning the gun on himself. Within hours, the Amish family immediately began extending their forgiveness to the gunman and visited his wife and parents to offer them comfort. They even attended the killer's funeral. A grandfather of one of the murdered girls cautioned the family not to hate the killer. We must not quote, we must not think of evil of this man, said the grandfather of his murder, of the murderer of his granddaughter. While another father said he had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. For the next few weeks, we're going to tackle a difficult and challenging topic, forgiveness. Forgiveness. This series now is not about asking for forgiveness, but offering forgiveness to those who have harmed us, who who have hurt us, who have trespassed against us. We are indebted to Pastor Chris Braun's and his book Unpacking Forgiveness as we're going to work through Scripture that informs us of the command, the importance, and the benefits of pursuing reconciliation in our relationships with God and others. In our passage, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, it's also here on the monitor if you need it, but again, I pray that you have your Bibles. We read, Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor. And are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, we thank you for this call for us to place our heavy burdens upon you. Father, I thank you for the promise that we can have rest. That we can have peace. So, Father, I pray as we open up your word, as we begin pursuing restoration through forgiveness, that you would start to work within our hearts because forgiveness is something that's difficult for many of us. Even now, there may be many that are struggling with just this very concept. Father, I pray that you would help us to respond to your word with a heart that is tender, that is ready to obey, willing to obey, And looking to conform ourselves to you. So give us wisdom. Let me speak words that are edifying. Let us know the difference between your word, your spiritual truth, and just my mere opinions. Lord, for your glory and our good, we pray. Christ's name, amen. Now, this comes as no surprise to you, but we live in a world that is broken due to sin. No area in our lives is exempt from the curse of sin and death, including our relationships. No one is immune to its deadly infections, and no one is untouched by its dangerous tendrils. Yet, Jesus teaches us that in the midst of the, affliction, the afflictions and the assaults of the enemy's schemes, we can find rest, peace, and comfort. This promise is foundational to the gospel. As we learned last week, peace is what Christ offered and supplied through his crucifixion, through his death and resurrection. Though we may not find full peace and comfort until that day that Christ returns or God calls us home through death, we can taste now and see that God is good. Now, there's not much that we can do about natural disasters or even man-made disasters such as war and conflict. In many ways, you and I are helpless regarding the hearts of others who are intent on doing what is right in their own eyes. And many times, we are at a loss to combat those who call evil good and good evil. However, you and I can find rest and peace in our own hearts. Though we cannot control what is in the hearts and actions of others, including those that are close to us, we can control our own with the help of the Holy Spirit. I want to focus this morning on our relationships with others, specifically those that have trespassed, who have harmed, who have hurt us. You may recall that we have defined trespasses as uh, those are the trespasses are caused by the hurts, by the sins of others. And just keep that up just for a moment. As we look at that is, and I'm sure that each and every one of us have been trespassed against. This is a major problem that all of us are going to face in our lifetime. Many of you sitting here this morning or watching or listening to this message later have been victims of trespass. Now, you can think of a trespass as someone who who walks onto someone else's yard, who who gets in your lane without letting you know it's someone who does something against you. Someone who gets in your lane, so to speak, does something to harm you, to hurt you. Of course, some trespasses are very small while others are humongous. Some are easy to ignore, while others are life-changing and with us forever. They can vary from very small personal slights, someone didn't say hi to me, someone didn't shake my hand, uh, to gossip, someone speaking lies, or even truths about us and spreading things around, to physical assaults and so on, as we see in the story with the one who shot and killed five girls. The damage that trespasses causes depends on the severity of the trespass, the harm, the hurt, and often the nature of the relationship of the offender. Those who are closest to us are what? Able to hurt us more and to cause us more harm. And as you know, there are varying degrees of response to an offense. Bitterness, resentment, anger and malice, and a desire for justice or revenge are just few of the possibilities of how we might respond to trespasses against us now as you may recall we had defined anger again looking here on the screen is anger is a debt that says you owe me that's why we get angry that's why we have bitterness resentment that's why we we turn up malice and then to look to vengeance and justice It's because someone has done something to me that has hurt me, that has harmed me, that has abused me. And so we say, that's a debt you owe me. You need to pay me back. Yet, we all understand that very rarely can that debt be paid off. Think about this. How does an absent father make up for all the games, the activities, and quality time he missed because he was too busy at work? How can a neglectful mother who's too wrapped up in her own life to pay attention to her own children? How does a sibling who is mean, dismissive, and teases their younger sibling, how do they repay back those years? Or a teacher who constantly nitpicks at a student, lowering their self-esteem? Or how can an uncle who molests his nephew and nieces, how can he ever repay that trespass, that harm, that abuse? They can't. And even though you and I know that, we still expected some way for them to do so. Humanly speaking, anger is understandable in these circumstances. For many of us, anger is a constant, though, companion along with bitterness and resentment. Norman Wright fleshes out three styles of anger that were identified by Patrick Morley in his book, The Man in the Mirror. He says there's Freddie Flash, and see if you can identify yourself in one of these. I'll be looking to see when the the spouse, the wife, starts elbowing the husband when I give it out. Freddie Flash has a short fuse. At the slightest provocation, he blows minor irritations way out of proportion. But his anger subsides just as quickly. He thinks the harm he does is inconsequential. It hasn't dawned on him that it's not a single occurrence, but the frequency that has branded him as someone to avoid, almost like a wave that comes in quickly and leaves quickly, not realizing the sand or the damage it might be doing to rocks and to others. Gary Control, or Gary Control doesn't become angry every day, but oh boy, when he does... His long fuse finally burns down and the dynamite explodes. He loses control and he strikes out, (coughs) excuse me, with a verbal tirade that makes his wife's knees wobble and his children flinch in terror. His anger problem is an intensity problem. It flashes and it flares very and burns very bright. But then there's Gary Grudge. He never has an outburst of anger. Instead, he sees with anger at the man he believes has crossed him. Gary often wakes in the middle of the night and plots how to discredit his nemesis. He feeds his ulcers the right foods, but his high blood pressure requires a doctor's prescription. His anger problem is a problem of duration. Without raising your hand or telling me where are you in those scenarios... For many, the root problem of their anger is pride along with some harm done to them or at least perceived done to them. It is a debt that someone owes me. Someone needs to pay. They believe someone owes them something. Unfortunately, you and I all know this. I'm not giving anything new. Anger is self-defeating and is harmful to those around us, including specifically or especially those we love and care for. To combat this, the Bible tells us, as you see in the monitor, is in in Ephesians, is to be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, as you look at that, it says, be angry and sin not, or do not sin. So there's a sense, excuse me here, (coughs) is that you and I can be angry and not be sinful. But we also have to recognize that we cannot Let anger reside in our hearts and lead us and give an opportunity for the devil. Let me give you a couple as you just look at that there. Here's some sinful examples of anger in the Bible. When Cain is angry against Abel because God accepted uh, Abel's sacrifice and not Cain. What did Cain do? It burns within him. He picks up a rock, some type of thing, and kills his brother. Joseph's brothers against him. Remember Joseph, the one with the multicolored coat, the, the son, uh, brother has 12 other, he has 10 other brothers at that time and they conspired to kill him, but yet sell him into slavery because they were angry that he was their father's favorite. Or we think about Moses against the people who were wanting water and he gets so tired of him. So God goes, says, go and speak to the rock and the rock will give you water. And that has happened before, but yet at this time he comes and he strikes at the rock because he's angry with the people. Those are some sinful examples, and I'm sure you can come up with some things as well. But now here's some godly examples of anger so we can understand that there is an anger that is a righteous anger that does not lead to resentment, to bitterness, to malice, to seeking revenge. That's where God is angry at the children of Israel because of their constant rebellion. Jesus angry at the temple those who are selling those who are profaning the temple Paul is angry with Peter when Peter is really denying the gospel preaching another gospel with his actions just by eating and separating themselves from the Gentiles so there's a sense where we can be angry and not sin the warning here is if your anger let it be that of a righteous anger not of one inside you a debt that someone owes me but let us not disregard the purpose of dealing with this anger whether it's sinful or not is that we give no opportunity to the devil scripture tells us that Satan here is like a roaring lion Paul is writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he warns his readers that we must put to death therefore what is earthly in you why? because the devil is seeking to devour you anger, wrath, malice and slander these are things that we give as tools to Satan, and he's looking for these things to create more and more anger, more and more resentment, a bitterness in our hearts. Consider the true life story in our opening where a man charges into a school with a gun shooting ten girls leading to the death of five of them. Afterward, he robs the children the parents of their chance for justice As he turns the gun on of himself, though some may call that justice. Take a moment. How would you respond to that scenario, to a tragic event like that, someone harming your child? Let me ask you, how would you receive any compensation from the shooter? He's dead. He can't pay the debt back. It's a debt that cannot be repaid. Would your heart reach out as these Christians did to the man's family and his wife? Unbelievably, the families of the school rallied together to not only comfort the families of the victims, but also the family of the shooter. And I'm going to have to be honest. At this moment in my life, I am not sure that I could respond in that way if they harmed one of my grandchildren. It would be very, very difficult. Yet they understood was that the only way to cancel this debt was to forgive. They chose not to let anger take control. Anger is the seed that bears the fruit of resentment, grudges, bitterness, malice, and desire for uh, for vengeance. These monstrous enemies cloud our mind. They pollute our hearts and are the root of many of our emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual maladies. I truly believe that. Even secular medical and psychological experts agree to the harmful effects of holding on to grudges. As the Mayo Clinic itself observes that if you struggle with finding forgiveness, you might bring anger and bitterness into new relationships and experiences. You become so wrapped up in in the wrong that you can't enjoy the present. You become depressed, irritable, or anxious. You may feel at odds with your spiritual beliefs, and you lose valuable and enriching enriching connections with others. Now, many of us have experienced one or more of these maladies due to holding on to debts that cannot be paid. That brings us to the great news of the gospel as it points us how to solve this dangerous problem. You see, the solution to the problem of anger, the solution is restoration. You and I need to look for restoration in our relationships. The restoration of a relationship or the healing of our hearts includes these things here as I kind of put it in a formula. Is that you and I first need repentance, then we need to add to that reconciliation, and then we add to that recreation, and then we're going to restoration. Now we're going to spend the next few weeks breaking this up of how that works in our life so that you and I can pursue restoration. And how we do that is we're going to find is through forgiveness. The American Heritage Dictionary defines restoration as to bring back into existence or use, to reestablish. So that's what I need to do is, is look is who in your life, family, friends, that you need to reestablish, that you need restoration with. It's to bring back into an original or normal condition. It's to place in former position or location. It's to put someone back in a former position or role. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12b, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Instead of holding on to grudges and hoarding receipts of unpaid debt, we are to pursue restoration in our relationships and seek peace with all. To refuse to do so would be an affront to the first and second great commandment. You might remember the first commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the first commandment. You and I need to love God. However, we cannot love God if we're holding on to the receipts of debt. But then as we go to the next slide, the second commandment, is you shall love the Lord, or you shall love your neighbor. What does it say on the other side? You shall not take vengeance. You are to release it. You shall love your neighbor. For us not to forgive, to hold on to those debts, no matter the circumstances, no matter the consequences, would be an affront to God. It would be to disobey our father. Now, last year, we worked our way through the Apostle Creed, which states we believe in forgiveness, not only on our forgiveness, but what you and I are going to see is that God's command is not only that God forgives us, but that we are to forgive others. Turn again back to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. That was our scripture reading earlier. And in there, we read of a command with a parable that Jesus taught the disciples on forgiveness. So in Matthew chapter 18, look at again verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, speaking to Jesus, how often will my brother sin against me? It's a trespass. It is a debt. And Peter says, how, how, how many times must I forgive him? As many as seven times. So Peter's saying, I, I guess I'm willing to forgive seven times. But look what Jesus said. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, God is not calling us to count it up to 490. That's one. That's two. It's not like we have a clicker, right? Well, I forgave up. Man, you're at 490. So 489, boy, you better be careful. Because I've got one more, and then that's just it, and then I can blow up. No, he's using a language to tell us that we're to forgive all the time, at every moment. Or as we're going to see, as we're going to actually answer that question, should I forgive at all times, or how should I forgive? And we're going to look at the biblical answer, is that you and I should say, need to have the spirit and the willingness to offer forgiveness. He goes on then to tell a parable. And we saw that the king of heaven says, he cared to a king who had many accounts, and he's looking at his account, he sees this man who owes him 10,000 talents. Now that's a large amount. And a king is, is a ruler, right? And he can do whatever he wants. And he can say to this man, pay me right now. And the man says, I don't have the money. I couldn't pay that amount. He says, well, okay, well, then throw him into prison. Debtor's prison. You've heard of that term before. Especially if you've ever read a, Ch- a Charles Dickinson book or anything from England at that time. Debtor's prison. You put it in there until you can pay, which didn't really ever make sense to me. I don't know how you pay off a debt when you're in prison. However, that was the point. And he says, no, 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 forgive. He goes instead, so he forgives him that amount of debt. But then that same servant who forgave, who was forgiven a large amount, goes to someone else who owes him, uh, what was it, uh, uh, 100 denarii. That's 100 days worth of work. 100 days worth of work. So much less than what he owed. And when that man does the same thing, I'm sorry, I don't have that money right now. Instead of forgiving him, he throws him into prison until he could pay the debt. Of course, the story gets around and finally the king hears about it and says, why did you not forgive him when I forgave you so much more? And in there we see that he then is thrown into prison. In this passage, we see the command and the importance of forgiveness as Jesus warned of the consequences of unforgiveness in in verse, I believe it must be verse uh, 35. Can you go down there? So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We must remember and listen to me, get this down. If you're going to write anything, write this down. That forgiveness is a hallmark of a genuine Christian. While unforgiveness, now mark this down, unforgiveness is a sign of a hardened Heart is a sign of a hardened heart. One pastor notes that there are generally three groups of people when it comes to forgiveness. Yes. There's those who believe they ought to let it go, the debt. They ought to forgive, but they cannot muster the courage or will to do so. I remember one of our ladies that used to come here, that was one of her things. She goes, I have so much resentment and bitterness against my sister. Now, I don't remember what the, uh, what the problem was or what the event. It might it have been a lifetime of growing up together or whatever. She goes, I know I'm supposed to forgive. I know that that's what God wants me to do it, but I just can't do it they are holding on to it so tight it's like that that it's not exactly like we kind of give you a a thing you put a banana in in a bottle you know and and a monkey goes in there to grab the the banana but as soon as he closes his fist he can't get his hand out and all he needs to do is just to release the banana and his hand would come out but he can't because he really wants the banana so much more Or he just doesn't have the courage to do so. Not the monkey, but you and I. We don't have the courage to let go. There's a point in which it becomes something that we not necessarily enjoy, but something that we're comfortable with. The second group of people is someone who believes they shouldn't let anyone off the hook and they carry the grudges that lead to bitterness. No, I, I, I'm not going to let them go. I'm not going to release that debt. I'm not going to forgive it. I'm going to hold on to it. But all that leads is to bitterness, resentment. The third person is one is maybe you and I here. We claim to have got past it. We have forgiven them. We might have even said the words, but old feelings and memories keep coming back. We remember what they did, and so when we're arguing, maybe there's a disagreement, and all of a sudden we start bringing up the past. It makes us wonder what's going on. I thought I forgave, but why can I not forget? Why can I keep bringing this up? Referring back to the Mayo Clinic, they write that letting go of grudges and bitterness can make a way or can make way for improved health and peace of mind. They write that forgiveness can lead to a healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress and hostility, fewer symptoms of depression, a lower blood pressure, a stronger immune system, improved heart health and improved self esteem. And those are all good reasons not to carry bitterness and resentment against those who trespassed against us. And see, even secular science has found out that forgiveness is healthy. The good news is, as you might be sitting here say, but I've tried. I, I just don't know how to. I'm not sure how they would react if I were to do so. The good news is that you and I can get rid of long-term anger and bitterness and resentment, and God wants you to close that account. And the only way for you to get rid of that anger is to cancel that debt through forgiveness. It is not something that can be repaid. However, you must forget about fairness, and that's usually the issue. It's not fair that I forgive them especially if they're not asking for forgiveness or they won't admit what they've done wrong. But here, let me share with you, it is not about what is fair. One of the things you've learned very early on is life is not fair. But God has called us to cancel the debts that are owed to us by others by forgiving them. Here's the spiritual truth that you need to grasp. If you get anything, get this. The only way to get rid of anger, bitterness, uh, resentment, the only way that you and I can restore our relationships is to cancel the debt. And the only way that can be done is through forgiveness. Pastor Chris Braun encourages us that we should be motivated to unpack forgiveness so that you can know maximum happiness. Now, all of us want happiness, all of us want joy. But one of the things that prevents you from enjoying life and enjoying relationships is unforgiveness. Going back to our opening verse in Matthew 11, it's here on the screen. We see that come to me, Jesus says, all who labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I love that picture there of the hammock. There's something about a hammock that just says, man, that is just peaceful. That is just enjoyable. We go camping uh, usually in May or so. We A couple of us try to go down. And one of the things I can't wait is for that hammock to be put up. It's just something about laying in and just kind of swaying, hoping for it. It's a little bit of warmth, but a little bit of a breeze, right? But that's the rest that God offers to us. He's called us to that. And we can only find rest in Christ. We cannot find it by holding on to bad receipts that can never be paid. We find the keys to peace through forgiveness in the gospel. For God the Father restores his relationship through us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Forgiveness, you and I have to understand, is foundational to the gospel. Hence, why Jesus is teaching there in Matthew 18 you must forgive as you have been forgiven. H. Forlander remarks on this here on the monitor, I believe. He says, Forgiveness takes the central place in Christian proclamation as the means whereby the relationship between God and humanity is restored. It stands at the action of God in the face of sinful behavior of man and is based on Christ. So you and I, when we look at can I forgive others, we look at what God has done for us. He has forgiven us. Just as God has forgiven us, his commands us in Matthew 18 to forgive others. John Piper writes that God is most glorified in us When we are most satisfied in him. So I just want to take a moment and ask, are you satisfied in God? Are you satisfied in the person and the character of who God is? In all of his attributes, his beauty, his wisdom, his providence, his sovereignty, his kindness, his love, and yet even his justice and wrath. Do you find satisfaction in his promises? to love your wives, to submit to your husbands, to honor your parents, to go into the world and to make disciples of all nations. We can go on and on, but are you satisfied in that? If so, then you will release these debts that you've been holding on to. Many of them, unbeknownst to you, is what is actually weighing you down. And just as God pursued us for restoration, we need to pursue restoration by looking to others. Pastor J.C. Rowell, a British pastor in the late 1800s or so, he remarked that there are five marks of a forgiven soul. So if you are here today and you've repented of your sin and put your trust in Christ, then you are a forgiven soul. And one of the marks of a forgiven soul is that they hate sin. Bitterness, anger, resentment, malice. The Bible says, put away from you. These are sinful. These are opportunities for Satan to devour you, to get a hold in your life. A forgiven soul is someone who loves Christ. And if we're to love Christ, we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to give ourselves as servants and sacrifice and surrender our own desires and and aspirations so that we may serve others. A forgiven soul is humble. They're not letting pride get in the way. We're ready to serve others as the Amish people were ready to be humble and to serve the killer, the parents of the killer's family. Number four, forgiven souls are holy. They're set apart from God. They're not holding on to these things that are sinful, that are dirty. No, we're clean. We're we're wanting to be more like Christ. Lastly, he says, forgiven souls are forgiving. So, as you said here this morning, are you a forgiven soul? If so, then we need to pursue these four things by pursuing restoration. Not looking and going and forgiving or forgiving, asking for forgiveness, which is part of it. But our series is on offering forgiveness to others. For that is what God has called us to do. In Richard Hoffler's book, Will Daylight Come?, he includes an illustration of how sin enslaves and forgiveness frees. Listen to this. A little boy visiting his grandparents was given his first, first slingshot. He practiced in the woods, but he could never hit his target. As he came to grandma's backyard, he spied her pet duck. And on an impulse, he took aim and he let fly. The stone hit and the duck fell dead. The boy panicked. Desperately, he hid the dead duck in the woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching. Always the sister. Sally had seen it all, but she said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, oh, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help me make supper. Sally smiled and said, well, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. And again, she looked at him and whispered, remember the duck. Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing with Grandpa. After several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's, finally he couldn't stand it. He confessed to Grandma that he had killed duck I know Johnny she said giving him a hug I was standing in the window and saw the whole thing but because I love you I forgave you I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you now that's talking about us asking for forgiveness but it's also about forgiving others to hold on to debts that cannot be paid Will make you a slave it cannot be paid back they can only be canceled restoration is what god has called us to do king solomon aver- observes in proverbs nineteen eleven that good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense obviously we would have less debts if you and i would overlook offense forgive be willing to forgive to look for peace let me as we're almost ready to close here just in a few moments i want to give you four steps to get rid of anger it's here very quickly you can take a picture of it with your phone if you don't write down but these are four steps as we continue through this series that we'll look at Four steps to get rid of anger. Number one, identify who you are angry with. You and I need sometimes to just take, as we do with accounts receivable, is we need to take a balance sheet and say, who am I angry with? Who am I struggling with? Why, why do I struggle shaking this person's hand? Why, why do I have a problem answering his phone call? There might be some people that you're, uh, you're angry with and you really don't know why. Number two, determine what they owe you. Why are you angry with them? What have they done? What have they hurt you? How have they have hurt you? Now, I, now, granted, that is going to be difficult for some of them. As I said before, there are some small slights, but there are some humongous ones that were very life-changing to you and harmful. I am not trying to belittle those in any form or fashion. And as we go through, we'll speak more about that. So please don't say that I'm, I think it's easy just to do so. I do not think so at all. But number three, we need to cancel the debt through forgiveness. That's what you and I are going to work through. And then number four, we need to dismiss the case against them. So these are the four things as we look at restoration, repentance, uh, reconciliation, recreation, and then finally the final restoration that you and I should seek as we pursue forgiveness. To forgive is to release the debt that too many times we have held on for way too long. In some cases, we've even forgotten what the trespass was. But let me share with you, Christian. It is time to offer forgiveness. And we're going to spend the next few weeks exploring what forgiveness is. I'm going to give you a definition between God's view and a human view. We're going to look at how you and I are to forgive and when are we to pursue uh, restoration through forgiveness. I pray that you'll find this series not only interesting, but life transforming as we search through scripture. The question I would leave you with until next week is what are you pursuing? What are you holding on to? What is preventing you from offering forgiveness. With that, with every head bowed and every head. Oh, I'm sorry, let me give one more verse here. Ephesians 4, 32. Memorize it for next week. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as the worship team makes their way up again, as always, I just want you to pause. Be kind to one another and consider how you and I can be tenderhearted, forgiving one another... Why? Because as, Or how do we do that? As Christ has forgiven us. Would you pray and begin now asking the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to work in your heart to show you to identify those who may have trespassed against you, to determine what's old, to look and pray for the power to, conv- to cancel that and to dismiss that case and pray and respond to the Holy Spirit's work. Would you do so this morning? as Randy comes and closes us in a word of prayer. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.